Uh, anyway, we are walking through the Bible in this uh, series called Storyline, and uh, we're looking at this common thread that runs from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that points us to Jesus in his gospel. And when we say gospel, what we're talking about is that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he came in the flesh, and he lived the life that we can't live, and he died the death that we deserve. And when we put our faith in him, not only do we have forgiveness of sin, but we go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. And that's the picture we're going to see in baptism today. And uh, not only do we go from being dead, dead spiritually to alive spiritually, we become adopted sons and daughters of the one true king. And we have all the rights and privileges that go with his name. And we also have all the acceptance, all the approval, all the significance, all the hope, all the security, all the love that we need for this life and the life to come because our identity is not found in our performance, but it's found in Jesus's performance for us. And that's what we see all through the gospel. And so today we're going to talk about a guy named Joshua. And Joshua uh, took over for Moses when Moses died. And uh, the people of Israel, they, they've been living on the banks of the Jordan River. And the Lord tells Joshua that it's time for him to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Now, the promised land was the land that God had promised the ancestors. He promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob this land uh, that they could have to start in their nation. Okay, And so now it's time uh, to go into the promised land. And for Joshua to pull this off, he was going to need an extraordinary amount of courage. Now, here's where you and I get into the story is every single one of us, every single day of our lives need courage, okay? And courage isn't the absence of fear, but courage is doing what God has called us to do in spite of our fear. And that's where Joshua finds himself today. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you to turn to your table of contents and find the Old Testament book of Joshua. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're gonna put it up on the screen for you or you can pull it up on your phone. But Joshua chapter five is where we're gonna be this morning. And as the people of Israel enter into the promised land, uh, the first challenge, the first city that they come up against is Jericho. Okay, maybe you've heard about the story of Joshua and Jericho, okay? You know the song, you know, Joshua in the battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua in the battle of Jericho, and the walls came what? Tumbling down. Oh, there you go, man, give yourselves a hand, man. We could start a choir, okay? Uh, but uh, so that's what's going on is uh, they've, crossed the, uh, they've crossed the Jordan River, and we're going to pick up in verse 13 in chapter 5. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho. Now, let, let's stop right there, okay? Um, you got to ask the question, what was Joshua doing by himself near Jericho, okay? And let's kind of set the scene, okay? Let's, you know, get, get the cinematography working here. Um, it's kind of at night, and uh, Joshua is on this hillside, and he's looking down at the city of Jericho, Okay, and he sees the city lights that are on. And what Joshua is doing as the music comes up in the background, what Joshua is doing is he's remembering. He's remembering the last time he was at Jericho, which was 40 years prior. 
Now, to give you a little context of what happened 40 years before this, encounter, before this moment that, that Joshua is having, 40 years prior, God had freed the people of Israel from being Egyptian slaves for over 400 years. They were Egyptian slaves. And uh, God sent the series of 10 plagues over the land of Egypt. And we talked about those. And the 10th plague was the angel of death. And it broke Pharaoh. And it broke the people of Egypt. And uh, Pharaoh says, get out. And so the people of Israel, they leave uh, Egypt. And then they come up against the Red Sea. And God parts the Red Sea. And they cross on dry land. And they wander around in the wilderness for a little bit. And they come up near the border of the promised land. And then they stop. And uh, the first uh, city that they come up against is uh, Jericho, which was a large city with fortified walls and humanly, po- humanly impossible for them to take. You know, remember, the, the Israelites, they, they, they had been slaves for 400 years, so they had no military training. They had no tactical training. It was impossible for them to, to take this city. And so what Moses does, he sends out 12 scouts. And two of these scouts are Joshua and Caleb. And so they go into the promised land and they come back for their report. And the, the scouts say, hey, it truly is a land of milk and honey, meaning that there's so much vegetation. There's so much fruit. There's so much crust. There's so, I mean, it is flows with milk and honey. It's a land of plenty and abundance. But there's people there. And there's cities there. And the, these, these spies, these scouts, they report back to the, to the people of Israel and say that the people there are so big and so powerful, they make us look like grasshoppers. And then they start complaining among themselves and they said, well, we should have stayed in Egypt as slaves and died in Egypt. And only Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, hey, quiet. And don't be afraid. Be, be strong and courageous. Be bold and courageous for the Lord our God is with us. And this angered the people so much that they wanted to kill them. And as a result of their disobedience and not trusting God, God made the people of Israel wander around the desert for 40 years for, so that an entire generation, this unfaithful generation, would die out and not be able to go into the promised land. And only Joshua and Caleb were able to live long enough to enter into the promised land. So 40 years later, Joshua is now in charge. Moses has died Joshua's in charge and he's looking over Jericho and he's remembering 40 years ago. But he's also remembering what God had said to Joshua when God put Joshua in charge. If you'll flip back to chapter one, Caleb read it a minute ago, but uh, we're gonna read some of this story together. So get ready to read along here. The Lord says, he says to Joshua, he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. So we had the promise of his presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then the Lord says, let's say this together, be strong and courageous. Let's say that together. Be strong and courageous. That's your part, okay? Let's say it again. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Here's your part. What? Strong and very courageous. Thank you. 
says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Notice he says, be successful, not whatever you do, but wherever you go. And our success is found in our obedience in the Lord and trusting him and being faithful to him. He says, um, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate it on a day and night so that you may be very careful to do everything written it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? In other words, Joshua, I wanna remind you one more time, just in case you forget, because there are gonna be days that you're gonna face that it seems like the world is crashing down on you. There are gonna be days that you think everybody is against you. There's gonna be hard, long, dark, difficult, painful days. And on these days, I want you to remember that I told you, here's your part, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So let's go back to Joshua. He's overlooking the city. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, and he's remembering all of this, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now that's not good news, okay? When, when, when somebody, when a soldier has a drawn sword, Sword. What that means is they are ready for battle. They are ready for action. And so Joshua, he went up to him. In other words, he got right in his face. And he asked, are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? In other words, Joshua walks right up to this man with his drawn sword. And he says, are you for us or against us? And verse 14, the man replied, neither. He replied, no, none. Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And this man says, neither. In fact, I'm not the kind of person that's for or against anyone. I'm the kind of person that people are either for or against. So neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua, he immediately recognizes that, that this isn't just an angel, but this is the Lord himself. Now, three lessons we pull for this, and then I'm done, and we'll get on to these baptisms. But three lessons that you and I can glean from this. Number one is that uh, this is Jesus. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. And what this reveals to us is that God can and God will come down in human form to deliver his people. Now, some people might say, oh, well, this is just an angel. But we know from our storyline series, from previous uh, stories that we talked about, we know that angels do not receive worship. And this angel, he receives Joshua's worship. Joshua, the first thing he does is when he realizes that this is the Lord, that he falls face down. Okay, that is an act of worship. That is an act of reverence, of humility, of I'm not worthy. 
okay? So that's the number one act of worship. Second, Joshua says, what message does the, my Lord have for his servant? He, in other words, he says, command me. So not only am, am I worshiping you and bowing down to you and humbling myself, but now I'm submitting to you. Command me, what would you have for me? And then third thing he does is he takes off his sandals because the place where he was standing was holy. It wasn't holy because, any, because of Joshua. It wasn't holy because of anything Joshua had done. It was holy because Joshua was in the presence of the Lord. And so he takes off his sandals to be on holy ground. That's the third act of worship. So this angel is not just any angel because this angel receives worship. So this is a preliminary manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. And we see that time and time again. See, Jesus' role in the Trinity, okay, the Trinity, three in one. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. If you ask me to explain it, I'll say I can't, okay? Accept it by faith. But the role of the Son in the Trinity is to come to us and rescue and save us and present us or relate us to the Father. And that's what Jesus is doing. That's what he does all throughout scripture. So first lesson that we pull from this is that this is Jesus. And the second thing that we pull from this is that Jesus is absolutely holy. Now watch, listen, don't miss this. Because this is crucial to our lives. If we want to be bold and courageous, we want to be strong and courageous, that we got to get this. See, Joshua... He wants to meet God, and when he does, he meets a man of war with a drawn sword. Now, as we look at all these stories in the Bible, there's nothing warm and fuzzy about meeting the God of the Bible. Okay, the holiness of God is the greatness of God. And unless we see how holy he is, unless we see how great he is, his love will never really transform our lives. Until we see who he really is. Because, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, a lot of times we come to, to Jesus, we come to Christianity, and we want to pick and choose what we want and what we don't want. You know, we want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we all want the Jesus of who's, that we read about who's loving and kind and compassionate and patient and, and meek and, and gentle and forgiving and, and merciful. We all want that Jesus. But the Bible also talks about Jesus being holy and righteous and powerful and great and majestic and strong and, 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 and just. He, he is that big. And we've got to somehow, some way increase our view of just how big Jesus is and who he really is according to his word. Now, I, I heard this illustration the other day, this uh, piece of paper, and I think it helps us see, just kind of visualize how big Jesus is. But, um, and so the distance between the earth and the sun is 96 million miles, okay, give or take a couple of feet. Um, 96 million miles between the earth and the sun. And let's say the thickness of this paper right there represents that distance. 96 million miles. Okay, that's represented between the earth and the sun. Now, for to use this same measurement, if we were to measure the distance between the earth and the nearest star, okay, 
this, we would have to stack up enough paper because this represents 96 million miles. We would have to stack a stack of paper that would reach 70 feet tall. So, so this ceiling's about 18 feet tall. So you can do the math from there. Okay, 96 million miles, 70 feet tall. If we were to calculate the width of our small galaxy, the Milky Way, using this calculation, 96 million miles, we would have to stack enough paper to go 310 miles in the air. Now the Bible says that Jesus measures the universe in the breadth of his hand. From, from the pinky to the thumb is the breadth of your hand. And Jesus says, boom, that's the universe. The Bible says that Jesus holds the universe in order. He sustains the universe by the power of his word. So here's the question that we all need to kind of spend some time thinking about is do we ask someone like that into our lives just to be our assistant? Just to be an advisor, to be a consultant, to keep them on the bench just in case things get a little out of hand. See, here's the deal. Every single one of us, we initially come to Jesus or continue to come to Jesus the way Joshua did. He had an agenda. He said, are you for me or against me? And, and, and usually we go to Jesus when we have a problem. And we say, Jesus, are you, you going to help me with my problem or not? Are you going to help me accomplish my agenda or not? Because here's the problem, okay? Um, I just lost my job. That's a problem. I just got out of the doctor's office and now I have cancer. That's a problem. Man, my, my teenager is out of control. That's a problem. My spouse is leaving me. That's a problem. Are you gonna do something about it or not? Are you for me or against me? That's the question that we wanna ask. But here's the question that we need to ask. Not is Jesus for or against us, but am I for or against Jesus? And when we say to Jesus, will you help me with my goals or not? And Jesus says, neither. No, none. Because Jesus says, as long as you keep coming to me. Mark, as long as you keep coming to me with your conditions and your terms, with your agenda, you're not really coming to me at all. And as a result, you'll never know me the way I want you to. We need to go to Jesus and we need to say, command me. Not my will, but your will be done. And listen, that doesn't happen because we go to church on Sundays. That doesn't happen because we pray it for a few days. We've got this problem and we're saying, God, here's the problem. And listen, it's okay to tell Jesus, Jesus, here's the issue. Here's the problem. Here's what I want to see done. Here's what I want you to do. But God, you see from eternity past to eternity future, you're sovereign. You're in control. You know what's best. So not my will, but your will be done. I will pray that prayer at 6 in the morning, but by 10 a.m., I've taken it all back. I'm like, God, you're not working fast enough. God, I think I know a little bit more about this than you do. God, I, I, I think I'm going to try to 
cash in some tips and call in some favors from people and kind of use my network. And so, hey, I'll get back to you in the morning. I'll never know the power of Jesus. And until I know just how big he is and who he is and righteous and holy and just and pure and majestic and strong, until I really know that, I'll really never experience his love like he wants me to. Third lesson we pull is that Jesus had a drawn sword. See, the reason why Joshua became scared is because no one survives or can face the sword of the Lord. If you go back in our story to Genesis and Adam and Eve, they sin, they blow it, and, and God, he, he kicks them out of the garden. I mean, first he, he, he covers them, he gives them fur, he slays an animal, kills an animal. Blood, there has to be a blood atonement for this. And he gives them fur, which is the best covering. But, but he kicks them out of the garden. And the Bible tells us that God posted an angel and a flaming sword swinging from back and forth. Because of the wages of sin is death. And the wages of our sin is separation from God. And what God was saying is if anybody tries to get back into the garden, if anybody tries to get back into the holy presence of God on their own accord, by their own record, by their own performance, by their own behavior, they will die. Because sinful people cannot be in the presence of a holy God. So why did the sword not come down on Joshua? Well, right before the, the Battle of Jericho, let me, let me just give you a spoiler alert here. Um, if you read the next few verses, God tells Joshua and the Israelites to, uh, to walk around Jericho one time a day for six days, and on the seventh day to walk around seven times, and to put the, uh, uh, you know, the guys in the front, they're you know, blowing the horns, um, and then the elders and the priests and then the people, and they're walking around seven times. And on the seventh time, uh, the, the band is supposed to blow their horns and the people let out a cry. And when they did, the, the, the walls of Jericho, these fortified strong walls, they fell inward. And there's, there's two applications of that. Number one, don't mess with band guys. <laughs> God puts us on the front lines, okay? And number two... God fights our battles. God fights our battles for us. And so right before they crossed over the Jordan River, they, they, they celebrated Passover. And remember, Passover was, goes back to when they were slaves, and the tenth plague was the angel of death. And the angel of death was going to come over in the, every household in Egypt and, and take in, uh, the, the firstborn male. In every household. But God told the people of Israel to take a lamb and kill it. Roast it. Have a meal together. But take the blood of that lamb and put it above the door and on the doorpost. And when the angel of death sees that sign of faith in the one true God, he will pass over and not harm your house. And so it was a sign that the people were taking refuge under the blood of the lamb. And the reason why Joshua was not could, could face the sword of the Lord is because one day Jesus would come, the commander of the armies, and take the sword himself. See, 
thousands of years later, Jesus came and he lived the life we can't live and he died the death that we deserve and he came in weakness and he took on the judgment and the wrath and the punishment of God for our sin so that when we put our faith in Jesus, our, the curse of our disobedience was transferred to him and the blessing of his obedience is transferred to us so that we can stand before a holy God as if we had done everything right. That's the righteousness we get from the Son of God. And so when we put our faith in God, the sword of the Lord, it's not against us, but it's for us. Now, as the band comes, let me just close with this. Courage does not come from mustering up enough willpower to do what's right. But courage comes from understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And Jesus says in the scripture, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he turns around and goes to the cross and shows you and I that he loves us with all his heart, all his soul, all his, all his strength, and all his might. And just think about this. The, the holy, righteous, powerful, majestic, beautiful powerful God who holds the universe who measures and holds the universe in his hand died for you died for me to prove to us once and for all how much he loves us and that's where our courage comes from is knowing how big and majestic he is but how loving he is at the same time I'm going to just ask if everybody would just bow their heads and close their eyes. I just want to ask you a couple of questions to help you process this morning. The first question I want to ask you, is there anything in your life that's causing you fear or anxiety? Is there anything in your life that's hard to give control over? Is there anything in your life that's discouraging you right now? There is in my life. Now I want you to think about how Jesus right now is holding the universe in his hand. Planets are not colliding because Jesus is holding them where they are. And that same majestic, big, powerful, sovereign Lord loves you. He loves you. When we focus on that, we see just how big he is. And yes, our problem may be big, but it pales in comparison to who Jesus is. And that, does that mean that it's going to work out the way we want it to work out? No, it doesn't guarantee that. But he does promise to be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. And so when you sit in that doctor's office this week, when, 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 when you're walking through that broken heart, that broken relationship, when you're sitting in that counseling office, when you are trying to figure out how things are gonna work financially this month, he's right there with you. So that you can be bold, you can, you can be strong and very courageous. Not because of you and who you are, but because of who he is and his love for you. 
And I'm gonna be at the back with a couple of members of the prayer team. We'll be back there. If you've got something you'd like for, just to be encouraged about, be prayed over, we, we will be back there. You come and find us and we'd love to pray with you.